0: If you're wondering where to go to discover new music, check out In Our Headphones, the latest podcast from listener-powered KEXP.
1: In Our Headphones brings you recommendations and insights every week, straight from KEXP DJs. And we're your hosts. I'm Isabel Lee. And I'm Janice Headley. Join us for this
0: never-ending journey of music discovery from KEXP and the NPR Network. Available now wherever you get your podcasts. Just search KEXP. I'm on a
1: ride, ride This is Sun and Vision from KEXP in Seattle. I am Emily Fox. So Brandi Carlisle has just released a memoir titled Broken Horses. While the Washington-based six-time Grammy award-winning artist was not made available for an interview on the memoir, I'm joined by one of her biggest fans and KEXP volunteer Bea Egan to talk about the book. Hi, Bea. Hi. So you are a huge fan of Brandy Carlisle. Like when I met you, that was like one of the first things that like I learned about you. And uh-huh. you are like a part of like an actual fan club where there's like a membership and like a Facebook group and you all do like communicate with each other. And like, if someone is, you know, want to see, wants to see a show, but they don't have enough money, like you all chip in. So you make sure everyone gets to see these shows. Like, like you are a dedicated fan of Brandi yes. Yes. Um What is it about Brandy Carlisle and her music that has kept you a fan of hers for, you know, now no more than a decade now?
0: What originally drew me to her is that I was just living in the south and my parents are lesbians and I didn't know a lot of celebrities that were out as gay at the time and I would say Brandy's career kind of followed that trajectory of from Ellen DeGeneres coming out on TV to where we are today. So she was just really important for me on that in that aspect, but Beyond that, also, her music is so revealing and so personal, and it has, like, especially her earlier stuff, when I first started listening to her, it has, like, an anxiety and an angst that I had at the time, Mm -hmm. and that you'll read in the book, um, just from her early life until now, and she's always been an accessible artist, and I've always just really loved her philosophy and her humanity.
1: So let's get a little bit into this memoir. You know, you and I have both read this book um, before it came out to the public. And let's first talk about just the story of her childhood, you know, I, this is all kind of new information to me for the most part. I'm not sure about you, but you know, she talked a lot about growing up poor, living in 14 different places in as many years. In a lot of those places, you know, were trailers, performing around Washington State locally with her family, you know, her mom's a musician, her brother, you know, sang with her, and, you know, being openly gay as a teenager. And you said that, you know, her earlier life was a part of Brandy's story that you hadn't really known about before. I mean, you followed her closely through about her career over the past, you know, decade plus. But what were some of the surprises or insights or interesting parts of her early life that you didn't know before, before reading this memoir?
0: What I thought was that the compound that she lives on now was kind of always where she grew up. I didn't realize that she had moved around a lot or just that that her family was concentrated in that area of Washington and that she just had such a connection with uh, the, her family and the people around her, despite having moved around so much.
1: Yeah. And, you know, now I think she's in Maple Valley now, correct?
0: Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah.
1: And, and so she kind of grew up in like um, Renton and then Ravensdale and Maple Valley. And now she lives in this, you know, log cabin with, a you know, her wife and her kids and, and her bandmates and their kids and families. And it's just like this, the like, happy family, which is which is awesome to like hear about. And this community that she's cultivated around her, you know, both within her fan base and just like her intimate, you know, community, chosen family and Um, married into family, all that stuff. So, you know, going back to, you know, this book, you know, Brandy's first experience performing growing up was through, you know, the singing competition at the Northwest Grand Old Opry. And, you know, she said that these kind of singing competitions were really just pageants, you know, beauty contests. And, you know, while she would sing her heart out at these events growing up, like as a kid, you know, she never won. Um, she never got dolled up, you know, as as part of this. And, and one time she kind of really leaned into being sort of what she called a misfit, and she dressed up as Elton John and performed his song, Honky Cat. and you know later in life Elton John became a big role model for her you know growing up she loved his music and then later on you know they ended up writing the song Caroline together they collaborated I
0: see you smiling, Caroline. Caroline.
1: and he was always following her career and congratulating her along the way You know, and Brandy also in the book, you know, talks about this idea of, you know, thinking of Elton John later in life as kind of this gay pen pal father figure. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, and then also in the book, there's a scene of just Brandy talking about, you know, figuring out her gender and performing gender. You know, she was in bands as a young, you know, when she was a teen and like it was a boy band. Like she had to like act and perform as a boy, which she very much kind of identified with, you know, just like wrestling with the guys. That's like who she was. And then feeling like, okay, do I need to be more feminine? And so I'm just curious, like, what was your take on just Brandy Carlyle's presentation of herself and gender through music as you kind of see her evolve in this memoir?
0: I think it's a really common experience for queer people. And Brandy never uses the term queer. Also, I use it as, like, sort of a community identifier and, and all-inclusive term. Um, and that's how I identify, just uh, as a disclaimer. But queer people, when they're young, I feel like so many people are throwing at you, like, this is how you should present as a young girl or as a young boy and realizing with where you don't fit in that. And the way that it comes on stage is that she is sort of able to be a lot more flamboyant like dressing up as Elton John and, and mm-hmm. stuff like that and so being able to come to music as a way to find to to present and perform as your as your actual self and having fun with it
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, she talks in the book, like, you know, who am I? Am I kind of like this more boy figure? Or am I more female? And like, towards the end, she's like, I feel like I've fully come into myself. And just you look at her presentation on stage now. And it's like, yeah, she's kind of got like, the cowgirl, you know, gear and like the fringe jackets, you know, but they've got a little bit of bling on them, you know, so she's like embracing like, You know, all of this kind of gender presentation
0: fully, I feel like, at this point in your life. Yeah. Yeah. I love those cowboy western suits. (laughs) Yeah.
1: (laughs) And, you know... A thread throughout this book is also how Brandy Carlyle saw herself like as a misfit and that she advocates for misfits. You know, one example that really stuck out to me in this book was when she was attending the Americana Awards one year. And let me just read an excerpt from the book um, of what happens next. So Brandy Carlyle writes, An extremely talented young fellow won the Best New Artist Award and promptly denounced the genre Americana. Ain't no part of nothing, he said. And Brandon Carla goes on to write, I remember him saying as he scolded a room full of misfits, I consider myself a country singer, he said. And right before he walked off stage with his award, instead of leaving it there for Courtney Marie Andrews or anyone else whose heart had pounded while his name was being called, you know, do you know what that sounded like to the people of color or the LGBTQ folks in the audience? You know, and then she goes on to say, like, who else was at that show that day? You know, you have Katie Lang, you know, all these other artists, and feeling like, you know, this This guy walks up and he's like, oh, I'm in country music, like Americana is too small for me. And she's looking around the room and just seeing, you know, diversity of sexualities or race or whatever and being like, but this is who I am. Like, I am Americana. I'm a part of this crowd. You know, and then she goes on to win, you know, best American Roots performance, best American Roots song and best Americana album in the 2018 Grammys. And, And she goes on to talk about how this, you know, Americana label meant something to her. How else do, have you seen just following Brandy, but also reading this book, how else she kind of lifts lifts up so-called misfits in her circles and in the industry?
0: A lot of her fans identify as like misfits on the island of misfit toys. And it's kind of like if you're a longtime fan of Brandy, you would know. But it's pretty much, like I was saying earlier about her philosophy on life is just being as open and honest with her audience, and accepting of people that are just different in the world, and just not don't fit into this uh, cis heteronormative patriarchy that we have going on.
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, she she's put on you know various charity work, you know, throughout her career, you know, one of which was a response to a hate crime between a lesbian couple in 2009 that happened in Seattle, which started um, a charity, which, by the way, can you remind me what that charity name is?
0: Uh, The Looking Out Foundation, and it's after her song, Looking Out
1: and also she's put on you know concerts that are you know a full all women bill you know she she was part of high high women you know this this kind of country supergroup with all women you know and also you know she's worked with artists like Tanya Tucker which she wrote about in the book of saying you know Tanya Tucker, you know, yeah, she's she's struggled with addiction, but you look at, like, all these other, you know, guys in country music that did, and they've been celebrated, but it was like, you know, she also wrote in the book, like, a lot of women, you know, like football players are kind of forced into retirement at 35, but unlike football players, like, they aren't left with a a nice old income to to sit around with, you know, for the rest of their lives. And so I'm curious, you know, for you reading the book, do you feel like – there was a vibe in the book that gender imbalance in the music industry hasn't been getting progressively better over the past few years or decade or two.
0: Yeah. So I feel like personally, I've noticed in, in, my, in my life and in the music industry um, and in entertainment in general, you know, you have concerts like Lilith Fair that she talks about in the book and people actively like trying to make a difference and be More progressive in in booking and airplay on the radio. And then when people kind of forget that it's an issue, when people go back to just operating on default settings, that default setting usually plays into white supremacy and patriarchy. And Brandy doesn't use those terms specifically, like sometimes she does, but just notice her, she has noticed in the book that it takes effort. And you have to be focusing on, on including more people in the music industry. So her charity work, being able to have that and also book these festivals like Girls Just Want a Weekend and have like the High Women and the Newport Folk Festival as examples, as, as culminations of all the work that she's done is just really incredible.
1: Did I bring some- Whatever you see, that wasn't me, that wasn't me, oh, that wasn't me. So my personal favorite song by Brandy Carlile is a song, That Wasn't Me. And it was, you know, written about her dad, and, you know, she talks in the book about just his on-and-off struggles with alcoholism. When you fall. You on your
0: feet.
1: But also in the book, Brandy talks about, you know, how she's gotten sick a lot in her life. Like as a kid, she had meningitis that, you know, almost killed her. And she just talks about, you know, before a really big stressful show or whenever she kind of gets stressed out, she just immediately gets sick, like no matter what throughout her whole life. And, you know, being a performer and getting sick a lot, especially when it involves like your throat, <laughs> getting a sore throat, and that impacts your vocal cords. I mean, she would still for earlier in her career, just pushed through all these performances to the point where she started getting polyps on her throat. You know, she sings with so much power, but also getting sick on top of it and pushing your voice you know, she ended up having to go on steroids to help with the inflammation on her cords, but going on steroids, she then becomes, you know, dependent on, you know, sleeping medications. And, you know, then she started realizing, like, now I'm starting to get dependencies. And, you know, knowing, you know, her dad has struggled with dependencies before. um, You know, she, she since has, you know, found a voice coach to really help her through this process. So she doesn't need to get to the point where she needs to take steroids, which then leads to sleeping pills and, they work on just her whole health and making sure, okay, if you're not feeling well, you need to cancel a show. But had she been vocal before, you know, from from you following her about some of her
0: struggles, you know, with steroids and that kind of stuff? I wasn't aware of the steroids. I'm not surprised, I guess, I would say. Um, the thing that really interests me about that or, like, what I noticed throughout her career is, like, she used to drink on stage, like, Jameson is her favorite drink. It's, it's well known. It's just really interesting to notice like how she stopped drinking on stage and stuff like that. And so to get the full story of that struggle and of her voice being almost taken away from us, you know, and from her, I can't imagine what that would be like. And it makes sense that you would try to find anything you could do to stop that from happening and end up, as so many people do end up with, drug dependencies based on like what's prescribed to them.
1: I am a vocalist myself and studied classical voice in college and, and just like, you realize like you, when your voice is an instrument, like you can't just play and sing your heart out five nights in a row, You like you wreck your voice. Or if you do, you need to go on vocal rest the entire day before. Um, you know, my voice t- coach had told me to take aspirin after performance, um, one just one little aspirin just to reduce the inflammation. I mean, there's like a whole science to it, you know, that, that people going into this industry don't know about or don't have access to people that are like, your body is an instrument and this is how you take care of it. And I can see people like rising to fame and not knowing all this stuff and then just getting in a total rut, you know? Right. Um. And then going back to this idea of just struggles with just sickness and her voice, you know, she talks a lot in the book about how her songs kept being compared to her 2007 hit, The Story, which was actually written by one of the twins, you know, her band, and in terms of what she could do vocally. So let's take a listen to a portion of the song, The Story. <laughs> So oh, that's super powerful, like just the the power and emotion behind her voice in that section yeah. of the song. And, I mean, just it's vulnerability there, like that that moment yes. in the song, like it's vulnerability. She kept getting, you know, compared and compared, like you've never sung a song the way that you sang the story. And by the end of, of the memoir, you know, she talks about feeling like she finally was able to match that moment um, in her song, The Joke. Um, during her 2019 Grammy performance um, where she kept being like, I don't think I can sing this one note in the song. Like when we sing it live, like I can't go that high or I can't sing the note like this. And she kept getting pressured. Like if you're going to sing this song, you have to sing this note. And she kept again getting compared and compared to the story. And then she sings at the Grammys and Janelle Monae ends up standing in the audience by herself and just like staring Brandy in the eye, and Brandy got this confidence. And slowly, other people in the audience start standing up, and she just felt like she got all this power. And then, on the last note, she just like let it rip and said that she just kind of like yelled the note. So, let's take a listen to that.
0: Goosebumps I, I know, it. I was just <laughs> thinking that, I was like, oh my gosh, that makes me just want to like burst into tears every time I hear it. I, mean, I think it was- it's it's a culmination of all of the hard work that she's put in into protecting her boys, and then finally coming through where she has created one of the most vulnerable albums and one of the most just honest and true albums that she's created with all of this behind her, I think is and just a beautiful journey and I'm so glad that she's made it.
1: That was my conversation with KEXP volunteer and mega Brandy Carlile fan, B Egan, about Brandy Carlile's memoir, which was just released. It's called Broken Horses. Well, that was Sound and Vision. Please take a moment to subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. And if you have the means, please consider a one-time $20 donation at kexp.org slash sound.